0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Rachel Maddow, the Young Turks, and Tom Hartman.
1: Thursday night at Georgetown University, former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor gave a bang-up speech. It was not recorded for broadcast, but NPR's Nina Totenberg reported on what Sandra Day O'Connor said. In an unusually forceful and forthright speech, O'Connor said that attacks on the judiciary by some Republican leaders pose a direct threat to our constitutional freedoms. The nation's founders wrote repeatedly, she said, that without an independent judiciary to protect individual rights from the other branches of government, those rights and privileges would amount to nothing. Again, we don't have a transcript or a recording of Sandra Day O'Connor's actual speech, but a reporter at the speech says O'Connor warned against so-called judicial reforms... That are driven by politicians who don't like judges rulings she said the country should be ever vigilant against the other branches of government strong-arming the judiciary it takes a lot of degeneration before a country falls into dictatorship she's quoted quoted as saying but the country should avoid these ends should avoid the ends of dictatorship by avoiding these beginnings very strong stuff from Sandra Day O'Connor
2: Young Turks, Cenk, Ben, and Jill with you. Let me read you uh, two quotes back-to-back. The first set of quotes is from our Vice President, Dick Cheney. The outrageous proposition that we ought to protect our enemies' ability to communicate as it plots against America poses a key test to our democratic leaders. The American people already made their decision. They agree with the president. So he's saying uh, the Democrats are trying to help the enemy, protecting our enemy's ability to communicate as a plots against Americans.
3: Right By the way, Spinebolt-Gold couldn't have been more clear about his desire to have the NSA continue to spy. It's not about spying. It's about spying legally,
2: but he ignores that. And then he says the American people have already made their decision on this. I don't remember them making a decision on this at all. That's because they haven't made a decision. <laughs> right. But continue. He, he is in front of a, uh, an audience in Wisconsin of GOP fundraisers. It's nice partisan audience. That's fine. He's at a fundraiser. That's okay. He says some Democrats in Congress have decided that the president is
3: the enemy, and then they all cheer. Well, out. keep in mind. By the way, this is what this is what Cheney said right. to GOP fundraiser. Now, keep in mind, that's exactly what Hastert said. That's, so that's a that's their that's their talking point. That doesn't happen by accident.
2: And Senator Frist during this week with uh, on ABC said, "I hope our enemy wasn't listening. This encourages them." Uh, Senator uh, Wayne Allard of uh, Colorado was less subtle,
3: and he said this helps al-Qaeda and this helps the terrorists. But just uh, let me, hit because I just think it's really important. You mentioned Cheney, and I read it before, uh, 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 that uh, he hopes, Ch- Hastert says he hopes the 66 Democrats who voted with us on the Patriot Act would not support the House Democratic leadership or the extreme viewpoints of their colleagues that the enemy is the President of the United States. There's no way that the Speaker of the House and the Vice President use the exact same language accidentally. Right,
2: and Allard, and Frist, and everybody else talking about it. And as the crowd erupts about how the Democrats are the enemy and the president uh, is being challenged uh, by these uh, people that are you know, betraying the cause of war, uh, the crowd erupts in applause, and Cheney says, don't hold back, don't hold back. Keep on applauding. I'm going to read you a quote from Herman Göring at the Nuremberg trials. Quote, And I checked this, I even went to Snopes.com to to make sure it's accurate, and it is entirely accurate. Quote, Of course the people don't want war, but after all, by the way, Goering, of course, was the propaganda leader for the Nazis. Of course the people don't want war, but after all it's the leaders of the country who determine the policy, and it's always a simple matter to drag the people along, whether it's a democracy, a fascist dictatorship, or a parliament, or a communist dictatorship voice or no voice the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders that is easy all you have to do is tell them they're being attacked denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to greater danger now we don't on this show we frown upon it we almost never do it making any analogy that has anything to do with nazis whatsoever but when you read the Goering quote it is striking it is too obvious I mean, let me read the last part for, it, for you. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to greater
3: danger. It's goring 101. And, and, and by the way, the, the people we're attacking, just for the record, it's working anyway. They're not pacifists. <laughs> I mean, no, there are no pacifists in Congress. Of course, funny
2: enough, uh, we find out also today the FBI spying... On literally a pacifist group yeah. and saying that they might be a danger, that they might be terrorists. Because if you don't know the meaning of pacifist, it means in favor of peace. It means against war. It means against violence. But the pacifists might be with the terrorists? going 101. It's impossible to deny. I, I wish I didn't have to say, it.
3: but right. there it is. Right. I mean, we're not we're not comparing them to the Nazis. We're just this is a strategy that's used by totalitarian regimes. I'm not even saying they're totalitarian, but manipulation and propaganda is manipulation and propaganda. Dem- democracies do it. Totalitarian regimes do it. Everybody does it. Communists do it. And that's what Goering said. He said this isn't just for fascists.
2: Anybody yeah, you can pull it off in of a democracy just as easy. Yeah.
1: story on the front page today is about a heretofore lost moment in history. On August 14, 1945, a young man named Thomas E. Jones was working as a messenger in Washington, D.C. He was 16 years old. He drove stuff around Washington, D.C. That was his job. And on August 14, 1945, he was given a letter to deliver to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He didn't know what it was, didn't know what was in the letter, but, in the letter, but he, he delivered stuff around Washington all the time. It did not seem like a significantly different job than once he had had before, even though this letter was going to the White House. And so apparently on the way to make that delivery on that August morning, he stopped off at a local diner to have a pancake breakfast. He met some friends there. They hung out for a while at the diner. Uh, there was a waitress or two who he was kind of interested in who worked at that diner, so he hung out. He flirted with the waitresses. Uh, he took his time for a while. He was in no hurry. Finally, he got on with it, uh, got back in his car, headed over toward the White House. He apparently made an illegal U-turn on the way and got pulled over by the police. Policemen gave him a lecture and a warning, but Thomas E. Jones got off without a ticket, luckily. And and finally, after this long morning of goofing off and diversions, uh, he did eventually get himself over to the White House to deliver this letter. What Thomas E. Jones was carrying that morning, unbeknownst to him, was a cable from Japan announcing that the Japanese were surrendering to the United States to end World War II. Thomas Jones had no idea that's what he was carrying. And, and, of course, I have no idea who hired a 16-year-old kid for the job of delivering this cable to the White House. Or, I also don't know why the cable couldn't have gone directly to the White House without need for a messenger service to be hired to deliver it. Uh, nor do I know how it is that the 16-year-old messenger, when he finally did get to the White House, I don't know why it is that he was ushered inside to hand the letter to President Truman himself. Thomas Jones says he was brought inside. He handed the president the letter and says Truman said to him, quote, what do you have for me, young man? Jones said he gave the president the letter. Truman opened it up, looked at it for a while, then patted Tom Jones on the head and said, quote, it's good news. It's really good news. Thomas E. Jones went on to serve in the Korean War later in his life before he died on December 31st of last year. A 25-year-old filmmaker taped a series of interviews with Thomas Jones explaining that series of events, explaining all the mysteries about that cable and the way that morning unfolded. He has put it together to, in, into a 16-minute short film called The Messenger that's going to premiere on my birthday on April 1st at the uh, at the philadelphia film festival in philadelphia pennsylvania imagine if thomas jones had been in a car accident or, or done something to get himself thrown into jail or something that day instead of just flirting with waitresses and eating breakfast and getting pulled over imagine if he had known what he had
2: It's okay now, I guess. Uh, every Muslim in the country, you know, this whole talk about you know, American, American, it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, black, white, Jew, it doesn't matter at all. Now it does matter. Now if you're a Muslim, you should fairly expect to get investigated. And in fact, anybody you're associated with will get investigated because there was a Muslim in the group or a person of Middle Eastern descent. So I remember, I mean, it reminds me of McCarthy. Are you now or have you ever been associated with, with a communist. Are you now, or
3: have you ever been associated with a Muslim, Ben Manquist? Well, first of all, before you just jump on McCarthyism, as Chris Matthews taught us, there were communists there. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we were being unfair to McCarthy. That's there true. was a lot right about what Joe McCarthy said. By the way, speaking of uh, of McCarthyism, uh, we made a mistake. And by we, I mean, Cenk. Um, uh, uh, but not an important, uh, but not a significant one. Uh, well, one we're correcting. Let's not let's not uh, label it as significant or insignificant. Uh, we, uh, J- Herman Göring, you read the quotes correctly. Those were Herman Göring's quotes. He was the head of the Luftwaffe and uh, uh, deputy chancellor for a while. In his uh, in his battle with Himmler, he was either the number two or three guy at the Nazi Party, depending on what year you're looking at. But Goebbels was the propaganda minister. But those quotes at Nuremberg were from Goering, who eventually killed himself before his trial at Nuremberg. Goebbels uh, was not able to attend the Nuremberg trials because he he killed himself in the bunk in Hitler's bunker along with his wife, children, and dogs. Uh, lovely gentleman. Good he guy, was... Joe Goebbels. Yeah,
2: sorry for that mistake, everybody. Question
4: for this first hour is the press is the press in the United States either by acts of omission or commission is the press in the United States setting up the destruction of American democracy of the experiment of the great and noble experiment of American democracy. Just want to go through some of these you know, just kind of a general overview of some of this stuff. Uh, there's also a whole lot of other stuff in the news that we will be getting to as well. By the way, for example, the Bush administration has just now come out with a new national security strategy saying, uh, yeah, bomb first, ask questions later, that's our policy. Preemptive attacks. Now, you recall, before George W. Bush came along, the last national leader to claim that preemptive attacks were appropriate was Adolf Hitler when he attacked Poland in 1930, I think it was 39. So it's been a while. But, you know, it's our path and we're going to stay to it. Well, our path is not going so well. And when we look back, Fair, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, FAIR.org, has just compiled some of the Iraq War's Pollyanna pundits. Uh, just a, a marvelous little collection, selection here. Syndicated columnist Cal Thomas, for example, on April sixteenth, 'o three. Now, keep in mind, this is, you know, just after the war had had begun. He says, all of the printed and voiced prophecies should be saved in an archive. He's talking about people like me who are out there on the streets. We had the largest outpouring of human beings in the history of this planet protesting something, protesting the possible invasion of Iraq by the United States. And what were we saying? We were saying, if we invade the United States, we're going to be putting our, our soldiers at risk we are going to be involving ourselves in what will ultimately become a civil war we are going to inflame the muslim world against us it is going to you're going to have our soldiers involved in house to house combat and they were all saying no, oh, no come on get out, get out get over it in fact the bush administration is still doing this crazed policy Right this minute, as we speak, the U.S. military has just launched its biggest air offensive in Iraq since the 2003 invasion of that country. They're trying to bomb them into submission. I'm telling you, you can't bomb people into submission. You can only awaken them. People say, well, what about World War II? What about Germany and Japan? Germany and Japan were both in the grips of cults the cult of emperor worship in Japan where people were willing to, to die on behalf of the emperor, fly, proudly, fly suicide planes out of the decks of U.S. aircraft carriers. When those people saw the rape of Nanking, the destruction of cities in China, the horrible war crimes that the Japanese had committed during World War II, they were horrified. They immediately stopped. My father was part of the occupation forces in Japan immediately after the war. I asked him one time, I said, how did they respond to you? He said they welcomed us. They welcomed us. Not one single U.S. casualty in Germany or Japan after the end of World War II. It wasn't because we bombed them into submission. It was because they figured out that what they were doing, what they had done, what their governments had done, what the government of Japan had done, what the the government of Germany had done, was they had launched wars of aggression and they were were engaging in, in international crimes. And the people said, oh... God, I can't believe we did this. I am so sorry. By and large. But this is a a lesson that apparently has not been figured out by the Bush administration, perhaps because the Bush administration is making, in some ways, the same mistakes that Germany and Japan made, thinking that they can aggressively, preemptively be the first to bomb and get people to say, oh, okay, we'll go along with you. You bombed us enough. Ain't going to work. Our launching the biggest air offensive in Iraq since the 2003 invasion of the country will, I predict, speed up the civil war in Iraq, because it's going to further radicalize everybody, and it's going to further diminish the credibility, what little credibility it has, tragically, of the government that was just recently elected, because that government is increasingly being perceived from all sides as being a tool of the Americans. So anyhow, back in April April 16th, 2003, syndicated columnist Cal Thomas, one of the more toxic of the cons out there, he said, all of the printed and voiced prophecies should be saved in an archive. When these false prophets again appear, they can be reminded of the error of their previous ways and at least be offered an opportunity to recant and repent. Well, Cal, we're looking for your recantation and your repentance. Headline, April 10th, L.A. Times, Iraq is all but one. Now what? Joey Chen, reporter on CBS, May 4th, 2003. Now that the combat phase of the war in Iraq is officially over, what begins is a debate throughout the entire U.S. government over America's unrivaled power and how best to use it. This was not just in the mainstream corporate media. NPR's Bob Edwards, April 28th, 2003. He said, Congress returns to Washington this week to a world very different from the one members left two weeks ago. The war in Iraq is essentially over, and domestic domestic issues are regaining attention. Tony Snow. uh, Tony's kind of pathetic. But uh, Tony Snow, Fox News Channel's Tony Snow. He says, Tommy Franks of the coalition forces have demonstrated this on April 27, 2003, have demonstrated the old axiom that boldness on the battlefield produces swift and relatively bloodless victory. The three-week swing through Iraq has utterly shattered skeptics' complaints. Yeah. Tell that to the as many as 100,000 Iraqis who died in that, Tony. Charles Krauthammer. He said on April 19th, the only people who think this wasn't a victory are Upper West Side liberals and a few people here in Washington. Yeah, a few of them. Howard Feynman, Newsweek's. Howard Feynman on MSNBC said, we had the controversial wars that divided the country. This war united the country and brought the military back. Yeah. Chris Matthews, April 9, 2003. We're all neocons now. On May 1st, Matthews said, we're proud of our president. Americans love having a guy as president, a guy who has a little swagger, who's physical, who's not a complicated guy like Clinton or even like Dukakis or Mondale, all those guys, McGovern. They want a guy who's president. Women like a guy who's president. Check it out. The women like this war. I think we like having a hero as our president. It's simple. We're not like the Brits. Mm, Yeah. Chris Matthews, who it now turns out the president of MSNBC, Rick Kaplan, says, totally untrue, totally, that Matthews might have taken as much as $35,000 to speak to the National Venture Capital Association and and fees to speak to other right-wing groups. Impossible. But now the National Venture Capital Association has confirmed to ThinkProgress, thinkprogress.org, that, in fact, Matthews was paid $35,000. The last year and a half, we've seen a radical swing to the right on the part of Matthews, and at the same time, a lot of speeches and apparently a lot of money.
2: I know you guys talked about San O'Connor when I was gone, so I just want to give a one big shout-out to my girl. <laughs> one disastrous decision in Gore versus Bush. But outside of that,
3: uh, you know, she's and, oh, in and her in her defense, at least at the time, while it was a disastrous decision, she couldn't possibly have known it was this bad, and I get the feeling she's like, No, that was a bad call.
2: Yeah, I that's the feeling yeah. I get too. And she's a voice of moderation. She's not a liberal, she's not a liberal activist, she's not a democratic no, no. activist. No, no, she's, she's a right she's, smack in the middle of the country.
3: No no I disagree. She's a conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. She's just not crazy. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, she's she's not a moderate. She's a moderate on this court that leans significantly to the right. I mean, that's that's, I, and I got no problem with that. That's a that's a reasonable position, I think, for somebody to be in. But that's where she was.
2: By the way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has said that she and Sandra Day O'Connor both received uh, numerous death threats uh, because of their opinions on some of the cases. Boydian, saying I'm sure. And of course, ironically, the death threats are, uh, you are not. You're voting against a peaceful and loving God, hence we will kill you. Right.
3: You're not, you're, 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 you're not pro-life, hence you will you die. She
5: should have received death threats from leaving the court.
3: <laughs> For uh, O'Connor, right? I sent her one. <laughs>
2: Why? <laughs> you know, some people are rightfully angry. Apparently, Wes was on Friday's show that O'Connor... Wes Clark
3: Jr. was our uh, filling guest on Friday.
2: That's right. And uh, angry at her for leaving the court uh, when, you know, she knew that Bush would get to appoint someone else. And she realizes how bad the situation is these days. But she's got a, a, a husband to take care of. She's got. To, she's like, you know, in her late 70s, she's what got to take F care her. of her.
5: Yeah, Men I mean... should be able to take care of themselves. She needs to take care of the country right now. What's more important?
2: Even if they have Alzheimer's. Right uh,
5: whatever. He's not going to know. Jesus,
2: I, I'm not as sure that he has Alzheimer's. By the way, I know he has a debilitating. Well, he's probably
5: disease. old and demented. Who cares? Okay. There's more important things to talk about and to deal with than her dying husband.
3: Jill Pike, compassionate liberal. It's funny, you know. I wonder if the uh, if the uh, if the uh, 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 I
2: know you're kidding, baby. Just calm down. I'm not kidding. <laughs>
3: you're, I hope you're kidding about the husband being able to take care of himself.
5: I'm not actually.
3: Right. Well, it was funny when you were kidding. Um, the uh,
5: look—we've given up having to talk about JLo's ass for all this boring crap. You know, she should have stayed on the court.
3: Um, if uh, what's interesting is that I wonder if the warrantless spying case had come along, which seems to be what has sort of provoked her, which is the outreach of executive authority. Now we'd seen it in the Hamden case already at that point, but not. But this was the most blatant sort of. Uh, uh, sort of uh, excessive example of uh, of executive authority. I wonder whether that would have changed her mind if that had sort of shown up first, because that seemed to be primarily what she was talking about.
2: But hmm. she she's the one who ruled in Humdi versus Rumsfeld that the president does not have a blank check in times of war. She already knew that the president wanted a blank check and was going to get one from anyone. No, I know, but well, I wonder
3: here whether this is? But the thing about the warrantless spying is that it, it is an affront to two the other two branches of government. It says. We're not going to go to the judicial branch to get warrants like the legislative branch says. It's a double whammy. And I i mean, I, we'll never know. The, well, we might know. Somebody could ask her. I just find it curious that that was sort of the clincher for a lot of people that uh, a lot of scholars, a lot of constitutional scholars, of which obviously as a, as a former court member she would be one, that they were like, okay, these guys are totally out of bounds. They were out of bounds before. Now they've, now they've left the playing in their, the, the field and they're playing in the parking lot.
2: By the way, you know – 80s, 90s, for a large, large portion of the 90s, Okana was considered not even close to Omana. Just simply conservative. Then she became a moderate when everybody else shifted to the right, so-called moderate conservative still.
5: She's like a creepy tree hugger now.
2: <laughs>
3: right, because she's in she favor runs of democracy. She naked in the
5: rain and throws paint on people wearing fur. That's
3: right. That's weird that she's done that. That was a surprising thing. You're like, hey, I thought you were taking care of your husband, and here you are sort of throwing paint on Paris Hilton. It seems inappropriate for a former Supreme Court justice.
5: Sandra Day O'Connor, screaming liberal.
2: Well, here is what this conservative voice uh from the Supreme Court has to say about the state of our country. Now she said a lot and it was a great speech and I encourage all of you to check it out. Common dreams has uh has a link that explains what she said in her dream uh org in her dream, I'm sorry, in her speech. But I just want to give you one quote which I absolutely loved. She says, Quote, it takes a lot of degeneration before a country falls into dictatorship, but we should avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. Now that is a powerful powerful statement to be made from somebody who was on the Supreme Court and who's from the same party appointed by Ronald Reagan and gave George Bush the presidency in that 5 to 4 decision. She's talking she's warning specifically about a dictatorship in this country and saying by the way exactly what we say on this show. We're not there, we're not at the end. But she said it a lot more eloquently than we did. We should avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings.
3: Yeah, that's a. And by the way, that struck me as I mentioned on the show on Friday. Um, and it wasn't, by the way, real quick about West Clark. His point—he wasn't so much angry. He was like, "Yeah, big deal. A lot of good. You could have done something about it." So it was more it was more frustration. But uh, you know, as you know, I object to all the fascism stuff because I think it distracts from how bad they are because it causes a lot of people to go, they're not fascists for crying out loud, and it causes them not to listen to the really good points about how so far out of bounds and how dangerous these guys are. That's a great point. I mean, she's not she doesn't even suggest that we're headed toward fascism. But why would you even why would you even take the first couple of steps? Like, even if they're thirty steps, why would you take one, two, and three? Uh, you know what it, it, the reason I love this quote and
2: brought it back up is because I mean, I think it summarizes three years of our show in one simple, wonderfully eloquent sentence, yeah, it takes a lot of degeneration before a country falls into dictatorship, but we should avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. Come, God, I mean, God bless you, Sandra Day O'Connor. I just, we all wish you'd stayed on the Supreme Court to say that, and here we are, quote-unquote liberal show, saying we wish a regular appointee, conservative to at most a moderate Republican, stayed on the court.
1: the stories that we are keeping an eye on here at the Rachel Maddow Show. But every day here on the Rachel Maddow Show, we do so enjoy poking a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine giving you a little peek at their political playbook. Today's right-wing political tactic is perhaps the simplest of all political tactics, because it's not even very political. It's just physical bullying, physical threats, and death threats in some cases. Uh, Specifically, I want to talk about them in the context of judges today, but it's a hell of a tactic against anyone It was mentioned just a moment ago about Franklin Graham. You'll remember that we reported just a week or so ago about Pat Robertson predicting that there would be another vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court before the end of 2006, predicting that hopefully he has in the past been more overt about praying for a vacancy on the Supreme Court, which is in effect praying for the death of a Supreme Court justice, uh, if not their retirement. Uh, You'll also notice, of course, that that people like uh, Tom DeLay uh, and John Cornyn of Texas, um, members of Congress have, ha- have, have, gone out of their way to talk about, uh, judges as basically demonic forces in American politics that must be stopped by patriotic Americans. Uh, conservative wing that commentators like Ann Coulter, uh, Ann Coulter joked earlier this year that somebody ought to, uh, ought to poison. John Paul Stevens, uh, that that would be a good thing for the country if he was poisoned. Well, apparently Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, gave a speech in South Africa last month in which she said that both she and Sandra Day O'Connor had death threats against them a year ago by someone who called on the internet for the immediate patriotic killing of them. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor said last week during her speech at Georgetown Law School that the justices had received threats. But this was kind of an unusual level of detail. Apparently at the speech in South Africa, G- uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, described very specifically what the death threat was. Now this speech, we don't have any audio of it. it was, they, they posted the, the text of it um, o- online earlier this month without an announcement and Legal Times uh, wrote an article about it yesterday, so that's how it came to light. But apparently, what happened is um, there was uh, in a website chat room around the time that uh, Tom Feeney of, of Florida uh, had had written about legislation on his website, uh, basically to to rein in the judiciary. Um, someone in a website chat room wrote, "Quote, okay, commandos, here is your first patriotic assignment, an easy one." Supreme Court Justices Ginsburg and O'Connor have publicly stated that they use foreign laws and rulings to decide how to rule on American cases. This is a huge threat to our Republican constitutional freedom. If you are what you say you are and not armchair patriots, then those two justices will not live another week. That was the way the death threat was made manifest to the Supreme Court justices. And in this speech that Ruth Bader Ginsburg gave, she tied the political attacks on justices. She tied the fact that, for example, Senator John Cornyn, a Republican of Texas, had said that maybe the reason there have been increased attacks on judges is because judges make so many bad rulings these days, and patriotic Americans feel like, uh, if, if you feel like Americans uh, ought to step up against judges who are making rulings they disagree with. Those kind of excuses for, for physical violence and physical threat against judges those things encourage a radical fringe and we've seen that happen in the abortion movement as well right the people who shoot abortion doctors justify their rhetoric with people who are much closer into the mainstream who nevertheless subtly justify abortion, uh, 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 justify violence against their opponents on abortion or any other issue. Uh, Supreme Court um, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez also said this week that three quarters of the nation's federal judges have asked the government to put in home security systems for them uh, since a federal judge was killed a couple of years ago and the federal government started making funds available for that purpose. So, you know, the the, the joking about uh, Supreme Court justices being killed, about their vacancies becoming available on the Supreme Court, joking in some cases about killing them, uh, is encouraging, in the words of of, of of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sandra Day O'Connor, a, a, a radical fringe that has been willing to make all too real threats against the, the life and health of these judges. It's an important thing to keep in mind, and it's the kind of thing that gets written off as, oh, those are just a few crazies, but you know what, all it takes is one crazy.
2: Iraq. Let's go to Zach in Florida on line one. Hey, Zach, how you doing?
6: Hey, not so bad. Thanks for taking my call. No um, problem. I have to say this is the first time I was listening to your program, and uh, I don't really call in at all, so this is a first for me. Um, you impressed me quite a bit. I, I was I wanted to talk about the, the topic you were mentioning. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I'm a political science, or rather, I'm a, I'm a political science student. Um, I'm in grad school right now, and and this is very poignant for me. I've been I've, like I said thinking about this a lot before the war in Iraq. Um, for me, public opinion was in my class very much against going into Iraq. Mm-hmm. As as Bush and his cronies started to to kind of throw out their propaganda, you started to see a general shift. Towards the very end, towards the actual invasion of Iraq, I noticed that there was a very slim minority of people who were actually against it. So I have to say that, like you said, this is all advertising. This is all them getting their their point of view out there so much to the point where the average layperson really doesn't know any better. Um,
2: Zach, that's exactly right. I mean, you want to hear a terrible uh, statistic. Unfortunately, even though most of our troops now want to get out of Iraq because they realize it's a mess, uh, in that same and it's a Zogby poll, the most established uh, poll in the country. Uh, Close to 90% of the troops in Iraq that we have believe that we went into Iraq because Saddam had something to do with 9-11. Is... I, I know, and
6: that, that's a horrible statistic, because it, it's amazing. You know, you mention that, and I see that all around me. I, I talk to people all the time, you know, about this, because this is interesting. It's what I do. Um, you know, I say, you know, why are you for the war in Iraq? And they'll tell me. Well, because, you know, we have to get back for nine eleven, and it's it's so... It's 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 irritating. First of all, because you can't argue with them. You know, you tell them no, it didn't happen, and they look at you in disbelief and chuckle
5: and kind of you know. That's a great point. I think back. it's
4: become it's become almost one of those uh, like a faith point. It's like arguing uh, with someone about God or religion.
5: It, it, exactly.
4: It, it, uh, that's a very very good point. You cannot argue that point with anyone.
6: It, it is. It's like going around in circles with them, and it, it's sad. Now now, I like I said, I've been I've been studying a, a lot about this and looking for parallels, looking to what I consider our history, and you guys may or may not, you know, agree with this. That's why I'm calling in to kind of bounce this stuff off. Um, like I said, it doesn't sound good, but I, I, I cannot help but notice parallels between the Bush administration's actions and what people saw in Germany uh, in the 1930s, uh, you know, with the National Socialist Party. Like I said, some people may or may not agree, but I have to say the propaganda that's being used, the, the, the taking over of, the, of essentially the nation's airwaves not only occurred in the 30s, but it's also obviously occurring now with, you know, Rupert Murdoch and, and, and company.
2: Um, all right, Zach, let me address that. First of all, thank you for the call. Thank you for joining the show. We appreciate it. Always good to have new people on board. Now, normally, what we try to do is we try to stay away from National Socialist. I like that euphemism you did there. I, because I know the problem that's
5: is Tomorrow, we're going to have to have a tearful apology of how we can... oh, yeah, <laughs> like President Dick Durbin. I'm
2: so sorry. Nazi. I'm so sorry. So, the reason we try to stay away from those analogies, Zach, is because it becomes a distraction. Because then, you know, you get those people, you know, the faith based people who are like, oh, Saddam did 9 11. I mean, you start talking about fascism or Nazis or whatever, and their heads explode. Oh, you guys hate America. No, 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 no. Listen, we're trying to warn you about something, not at the end of uh, what happened with the National Socialist, the Socialist Party, but at the beginning, but they don't listen to that. But now, having said that, Sandra Day O'Connor had. A powerful quote that we talked about yesterday on the show, and I want to share that with you because I think it's the perfect example of what we've been talking about for the last three years here on The Young Turks. She said, and this is, remember, Sandra Day O'Connor is a conservative Republican uh, justice. She was appointed by Ronald Reagan, and she was a decisive vote in uh, Gore versus Bush, and obviously Bush won. Quote, she said, it takes a lot of degeneration before a country falls into dictatorship. But we should avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. Mm. Wow. And, and and it's so eloquent, so well said. Basically, what she's saying is, we're not at a dictatorship. But you know what? This is how you get to one. Right. And we are at the beginning of these things, and it scares her. I wish it scared her enough to stay on the court. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But a lot of the propaganda here and yesterday again we try to stay away from it but yesterday the pa- the analogies are too powerful we read a quote from goering goering was uh, the, hair, uh, the head of the Luftwaffen for the uh, national socialist party and it's amazing let me read you the quote one more time real quick here he said this was during the nuremberg trials when he was being tried of course the people don't want war he said but after all it's the leaders of the country who determine the policy And it's always a simple matter to drag the people along, whether it's a democracy, a fascist dictatorship, or a parliament, or a communist dictatorship. Voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to greater danger. I mean... Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound hauntingly similar to what we've heard?
6: That's the program.
2: We've heard that for now four or five years since 2001.
0: And And it's worked. It's worked. I I, mean, a lot of people have rallied around that. The notion that, hey, we're going to have to give up a lot of stuff in order to protect ourselves.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. And look at what Goering said. You don't have to be a Nazi or a fascist. He says it works in any government, even if it's a democracy. It's so simple. Say we've been attacked. Say that anybody who doesn't want to counterattack is unpatriotic and is endangering the country. So but uh encouraging note to you know to Zach, the numbers are changing. Believe me. When the war first started, because of all the propaganda, everybody was in favor of the war, started decline as we saw more and more pictures, more and more facts, more and more facts. It seeps out. The talk show hosts don't talk about it, they try to cover it up, but the bombings happen on a daily basis, and we've got close to twenty thousand casualties in Iraq. Not twenty thousand dead, but twenty thousand casualties. Right, you've got a
0: war generation, is what you have.
2: Exactly, and those people come home and they talk to their family, and you see them, and you see begin to see the pictures. Now the numbers are to the point where a significant majority believe the Iraq war was a mistake. And now, and the most encouraging number I saw just the other day, a majority. I think it was just fifty-one percent, but a majority now believe that the administration actively lied to get us into that war. And an earlier poll had showed, if a majority of americans believed that the administration had lied to get us into the war they thought that was an impeachable offense enough to get you thrown out of office now we they haven't made that connection yet and that might take a couple years that might never happen but what is encouraging is the numbers are going in the right direction you can only lie you could fool all the people all the people some of the time some of the people all the time But as the famous quote goes, maybe you've heard it in Tennessee or maybe in Texas, as Bush would say, but you can't fool all the people all the time.
5: This is Jill Pike from The Young Turks. If you'd like to podcast the entire Young Turks show, please go to our website, theyoungturks.com, for more information. You can also support the show by becoming a TYT member or purchasing The Young Turks merchandise.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for helping me uh, spread the word about the show. There's uh, the new promo just went out in in the feed yesterday, so please consider emailing that to, uh, to anyone who you think may be interested. If you want to contact me, there are so many ways. I'm afraid you may just be paralyzed by the choices. You can uh, go and leave messages and vote if you like at Podcast Alley, as well as uh, leaving reviews slash comments at uh, in in the iTunes Music Store, or you can just contact me directly at hippysympathizer at gmail dot com, and the one I'm most excited about is the new message board. Go on over. Uh, just just head to uh, bestoftheleftpodcast.com, dot com, and you'll see the link there for Best of the Left community, and that'll take you right to the message board. There's a couple of couple of threads up there, so just come on over, introduce yourself, and and meet some some other listeners. That's fun for everybody. So that's it for me today. Have a good one.